bet they're really getting confidence now. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Cuddy and the Cooge on Sports. Welcome back, Cuddy. Good to be here. Yeah, we're back in the, uh, we're down in the the basement studio, but it's really nice. My parents uh, got an Airbnb going down here. Yeah, we do. We uh, we bought this property up here in Saratoga. We were, uh, think looking at the big basement that we had, and we decided to renovate it, and or not renovate it, build it out, and put a private entrance so we're going to airbnb it out this moving forward from actually today so it'll be kind of interesting to see where it goes and hopefully track season will bring us a lot of wealth yeah so if you're uh <laughs> if you're coming to upstate new york and looking for a rental and you want to stay in the basement studio of cuddy and the cooge Yes. Hit, shoot us an email. We'll hook you up. You can see where it all happens right here. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, uh, we have another great guest today. Um, another athlete from the championship team era. He has been mentioned on our show many times. Great athlete. And as always, I'm going to turn it over to Cuddy to kind of bring him in for us. Yeah, thanks, Cooge. Yeah, another, another really uh, good guest and brings back a lot of memories for me. Uh, going back to my UNLV days. And uh, I, I don't want to say that this guest is an unsung hero of those real good Tarkanian teams because uh, he had a lot of success at UNLV and was relied on a lot by Coach Tarkanian uh, in clutch times to hit a bunch of threes and uh, is still the career leader in three-point percentage at UNLV with almost 45%. And I think in the um, 89-90 season, I think you hit almost close to 50% of your threes, close to that. Um, and ju just a great shooter and a great all-around guy. I used to have a lot of fun with, uh, with him. And um, I'd like to welcome Travis Bice. Travis, thanks for taking the time. We appreciate you being here and uh, enjoying and Cuddy and the Cooge. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm proud to, proud to be here with you as well. It's great to see you and connect again. And I'm just happy to be here as well. It was great. Yeah, I know. You know, it's 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 funny, Travis. It's one thing, um, you know, when all this social media uh, started evolving, you know, I, I never knew how much I would get into it. Of course, I was still working at the time in athletics. And so, you know, one of my jobs, we kind of had to follow some of social media of our athletes to make sure, you know, there's nothing crazy going on. And at first, I wasn't real big on it. I'm like, eh. Yeah, I don't think I'll ever get into this, but man, after you start getting into it and reconnecting with people like yourself or former student athletes and coaches and friends and family and seeing how, you know, people have grown, seeing how their families have grown, it's really kind of cool. So it's, uh, and, 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 uh, the cooge over here is the one that got me into this <laughs> whole podcast deal. And that's been really nice because again, uh, you know, I don't know that we would have reconnected like this if we didn't have this going on. So, uh, so it's been kind of fun. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. It's, that's amazing. It is a great way. And, and then, but this format with zoom, I mean, you, you're sitting here almost together, you know, it's yeah. pretty odd. I'm sitting I, here I know, in Scottsdale exactly. and you're in, you're in New York. 
<laughs> yeah, must it's probably a little nicer in Scottsdale than it is in upstate New York right now. It is still nice. We get a lot of good weather in, in March, April, and May. It starts to warm up a little bit, so we'll be probably 90 today. But our mornings and uh, evenings are, they're beautiful. It'll be like 62 or 3 in the mornings and the evenings. It's really nice. So it's, it's a great time of year out here for sure. Definitely, definitely. So Travis, take us back to where did you come from before uh, UNLV? Like where did you grow up, go to high school, all that good stuff? You know, I went to, I was in Culver City, California, in, in the heart of L.A. there um, until I was 12. And then we moved to Simi Valley um, up in Ventura County. And so I was there from really sixth grade through uh, high school. And I was just, it was, again, just lucky to be there in, in a lot of respects because our our high school, our coach at the time, I bet he was in his 30s while I was growing up there. Um, but his son is one year behind me. Uh, it was Bob. Bob Hawking was our coach there. And um, that was just an amazing experience because he was so into it. He's a guy that ended up he's in the Hall of Fame in Southern California in the CIF. And that's you know, really, that doesn't happen very often. So I actually played for a Hall of Fame coach in high school and um, grew up with him because we went to his camp. Right. And uh, in the summers and we all wanted to be Simi Valley pioneers. I mean, that was a goal of mine to be out there and be one of those guys and get my name up on that board and some kind of records or something. And I just ended up being lucky because then I think over that time we had maybe five guys over a 30 year period that went and played division one basketball. Mm -hmm. But on my senior team, four of us played division one basketball. Wow. So I grew up with kids that are maniacs that <laughs> just wanted to be big time basketball players. And that's who I competed with growing up and um, was lucky enough to go to high school with Don McLean, who's still the career all time leading scorer in Pac 12 history it was Pac 10 back then. Mm -hmm. And I grew up with him. And, um, so, and that's really what brought me to UNLV, by the way, you know, it was really interesting how that worked out for me is, uh, they didn't, UNLV didn't really want me. They wanted Don <laughs> yeah. and I was a year ahead of Don. And so, you know, Tark brought me in, uh, just to try to another Avenue to get it done. <laughs> that's how I ended up there. And I said, well, I'm just going to go for it anyway. I don't, I don't feel like I have much to lose here. I'm just going to go for it. And that's, that's kind of what I did. That's, I mean, although it was a ploy to get done, that's still an amazing, like it speaks to how amazing you were as an athlete for Tark to come recruit you like that. Cause he didn't just do that to anybody from what it sounds like. Yeah. So I appreciate that. I had a lot of actually small scholarships. I could have gone like to, Pepperdine or I had scholarship at Cal State Northridge that was just becoming division one, I, I believe at the time, or I was going to go to Cal Lutheran, which was a division three school down the road. And I don't know. And honestly, that's what I should have done, mm -hmm. but I just wanted something more. And when I got an opportunity at UNLV, because actually I walked on there, um, 
we, my cousin used to live in Vegas, reaches out to Tark. That's really what happened. Uh-huh. And said, hey, my cousin is going to go walk on somewhere. That's what's going to happen. Because that's really what I was considering. I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to take these scholarships, which is just absurd. <laughs> I'm going to go walk on at a Division One top you know, program and just go for it. I mean, who would do this? And my parents are behind me, right? They're like, okay. <laughs> it's like, I can't believe this. So my cousin uh, somehow gets in touch with Tark. And like the next day, Tark calls me at my house out of nowhere. I answer the phone. Hey, this is Jerry Tarkanian. Oh, okay. Hi. <laughs> He's like, you should come to our banquet. And UNLV had just gone to the final four and got beat by Indiana. And they were having that big banquet. Yeah. And he invited me there with my parents. I'm like, all right, I'll see if I can do it. My parents were like, okay. And we went and sat at like one of the big tables. We were sitting with Brad Rothermel at the the banquet and went in to meet with Tark the next day. And he's like, well, if you want to walk on, you can do it. And here's the situation and do to do. And again, I was just dumb enough to <laughs> go for it. And, um, and then it all worked out. I think, uh, you know, um, uh, Gerg kind of took, coach Gerg took me under his wing right away. So I was a walk on, but I really wasn't like I was on the team. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, it is what it is. And, and then Tark, you know, good on him and the coaches. I swear it must have been. I remember within two weeks, I was in the newspaper. If you remember, Tark used to have his little column in the Las Vegas Sun. And I swear within two weeks, he he mentioned my name in there saying, hey, by the way, I want to call attention. We have a freshman walk on that. This kid's doing a lot of great things in practice. And it wasn't maybe three weeks past that, that he offered me a scholarship. And that's how I ended up on scholarship the entire time I was at UNLV. I, I, uh, I, I was just thinking that same thing, Travis. I thought, I, yeah, I thought it was like maybe a month or so after school started that Tart gave you scholarship because I, I used to go over, I don't know, two or three times in the morning like if we had an injury or something, you know, and, and Tark was always in the office and Gerg was in his little office. And, and, uh, but I remember a couple of times going in there and, uh, those guys were watching film, you know, from practice or workouts. And, um, and I remember Tark, like you would be shooting in practice, some of those drills that, you know, you would shoot to threes. And I remember Tark, you know, I used to say, wow, <laughs> man, that this kid could really shoot. <laughs> you know, so I, I yeah. remember that. And, and, uh, and I had a feeling that, you know, you were going to be one of those guys that was going to be, you know, kind of a key to Tark moving forward with his teams because of the way you could shoot the ball. And, and not to mention that you only were about 135 pounds too, I think. <laughs> a little bit more, but not much yeah. more. You know? Yeah. But you know, it's like it's like most things. And I think what helped me there is that well, one again, my background uh from high school, very Hall of Fame coach is very fundamentally oriented. And he ran a five-man motion offense. And we played man-to-man denial defense. So it transitioned when I went to UNLV, you stumble into Tark's running a motion offense and he's running denial defense. 
Well, I knew how to do that at already a very high level, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. I, I could I could do that stuff. And um, I could run a five man motion offense still today, like blindfolded. <laughs> yeah. And that's what really gave me a leg up down at UNLV, because even as a freshman, here's a freshman walk on that Tark would sometimes stop practice. I'll never forget. It, it was a big moment for me. Because he like stopped practice and made Gerald Patio, who's a senior at the time, and went to the NBA. This guy's all league, all world. He's our man, right? And he stopped practice and made Gerald come to the sideline to stand next to Tart. He said, I want you to watch him run this motion offense because I could run it that well. So that was my training from high school, and it gave me a leg up that I could you know, at least try to hold my own out there and, and compete. Um, and I was just really fast where I came from, you know, it seemed me, I still hold the records for like a, a ladder drill or a suicide yeah. still today, <laughs> probably, you know, 40 years later. So I could run a suicide faster than anybody ever in the history of that school. We show up at UNLV. That means you're equal. <laughs> you know, you can, you can kind of hang in there. So I had, I had some speed and I had some knowledge from high school. And as far as being thin, you know, the things I always learned about that in life, never underestimate anybody in size or stature because I'd been thin my whole life. Yeah. It wasn't new to me. <laughs> you know, other guys who look and say, I'm going to run over this little skinny guy. It's like, well, you know, I've been thin my whole life, so I must have figured it out some way. Right. And Travis, how tall are you just for our guests? Six four. I was a legitimate six four. Probably yeah. just barely. And that's hard yeah, to I get was bouncing around at six four, one forty-four. No, not many UNLV players could ever say that. That's hard to get down to that line from six four on a suicide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah but, so. but but you know, I think Travis, the one thing too is a which is really good for I think, especially if there's younger kids listening to this you know, want to play division one basketball, um, you know, never under underestimate your ability and never underestimate how hard you have to work to get at that level. Like you said, when you came in, you know, coach Gerg took you under your wing. And and I remember what coach Gerg did with you guys and Keystar and Clee Edwards and whoever else was around. I mean, you know, sometimes after practice, and before practice was actually harder than practice, you know, going through the drills with Gerg and the shooting and staying extra and all that stuff. Now the rules kind of prohibit kids from doing that at the college level. But, you know, I don't think it was anything for you guys to stay after and put up, you know, two or 300 shots, uh, you know, with Coach Gerg and, you know, work on defense and all that type of stuff. So, it really is hard to get at that level, to stay at that level, you know, and, and it takes a lot of hard work regardless of your skill level, you know. So I think that's a credit to what you did coming in there as a walk-on, becoming, you know, really like a, you know, a starter because Tark really had eight eight or nine guys. And, you know, if, if you were one of those eight guys, you're probably going to get 15 to 20 minutes a game because of the way he played. Um, you know, with the defense and, and the transition, you know, guys just got tired. So you had to be ready to go all the time in, in his kind of, you know, game. So, 
Yeah. Well, it definitely helped me again. Like I went in there not with a chip on my shoulder, but the idea of, Hey, I've got to earn my spot here. And, um, for all the young folks, that's that you're right. That's what they need to know that is meaning I thought like you go through high school, then you hit college. I knew it was like higher level. So I'm like, I got to raise my game here. And that's done by effort and work improvement. You know, I was looking to try to get better every single year. So every time I could get Coach Gerg to go in the gym with me, um, which was a lot, (laughs) I would be there. You know, I would ask Coach Gerg after practice, like you said, it might be a three hour practice. And I'd ask him to stay and shoot with me because I wanted to shoot tired so that I, I could be tired in a game and perform at a really high level. And so it's absolutely true. I would never, ever have made it without, if people say hard work, you're right. It's a tremendous amount of hard work, but it's amazing what can be accomplished, you know, by, by doing that. You know, I, I tried to calculate, you know, roughly how many shots I'd shot in my life. And that was really through 22 years of age, because after that, I really didn't play much basketball. And it's somewhere between 1.5 and 2 million shots wow. that I shot to get prepared to play at that, that level. For the young folks, I mean, that's what it takes. Are you ready to shoot 2 million shots? Right. You don't just roll in like Steph Curry. <laughs> it, it takes that kind of work. Right. Yeah. Well, there is there is like something to be said. I like how you said like, after high school, even though you were already a phenomenal player in high school, surrounded by other phenomenal players and a Hall of Fame coach, you still came into the program like, all right, I'm not good enough. Like I need to level up to this division one level. Whereas there's like that, like saying like people like peaked in high school. And I think it's just truly a mindset thing. Like, you know, there would be, could potentially be an athlete like you that's like, yeah, I'm a senior. I'm so good. And they just peak right there because of their mindset. They're not willing to say, I'm not good enough yet. I need to step up my game to get to the next level to where I want to be. It's for sure. And, you know, Jerry, from his background, I mean, he's seen seen it all, you know, because I dealt more on the basketball side. He's He's working through all these sports. And then I was at UNLV for four years. You know, he's he's in athletics for 40 years. Imagine all of those student athletes. And we saw him. Jerry knows him. There's so many that I cross paths at UNLV that on paper, hands down, better than me, better pedigree, better physicality, whatever it may be. And I ended up having a lot better career than they did because of what you just said. I think they they don't necessarily come in. They're big superstars in high school. And they don't come in with that hunger and that idea that they need to get better. This is now Division One athletics, and this is UNLV. We're a top 10 program in the country. Now we're number one in the country. It's, it's difficult. You have to be able to elevate. And then we see how many athletes that then move from there and have an opportunity to play pros. There's so many of them, again, that need to be able to make that jump. If they're not prepared when they hit the pros to understand that they need to work and focus and grow, they don't make it, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. You know, Travis, uh, 
I tell you who's a per, per, another example of that, like yourself, but, um, was Armand Gilliam. And I know you, you missed Armand by one year, uh, but obviously I know you're very familiar with Armand. God rest his soul. Um, but when Armand came to UNLV, I, I never will forget. I, I, I still laugh to this day. Um, he was in the gym working out with, you know, one of the coaches and they talk Armand Gilliam, Armand Gilliam. And I'm telling you, he was terrible. <laughs> he, I thought was like, I'm thinking, what do you, what do you, what did you guys see in this guy? But Armand, you know, he, he wrestled in high school. He really didn't play a lot of basketball. He just was a big, you know, physical specimen with a lot of canned up ability that never came out yet. And Armin Gilliam, I don't, I can't even imagine the number of hours that guy spent working to get better. And, 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 and in my realm, he used to drive me crazy because he had uh, like tendonitis in his knee um, and it, it really bothered him. So he came in the training room when he first got there and he said, man, I got to get my knees better. You know, when I wrestled, they really bother me this and that and the other. And, and I'm like, and so I showed him these exercises and then, you know, of course he wanted me to do them for him or with him. And I couldn't get him out of the training room. I mean, he, <laughs> he would want me to stay in there for like two hours doing like, you know, straight leg raises and knee extensions and knee <laughs> flexions. And I say, Armin, you know, you've done enough. No, no, no. Let's do a couple more sets. Let's do a couple more sets. But that's yeah. what he did. And he'd go in and work on that little turnaround jump shot probably like 9,000 times a day, you know, and look what he, what he became like, you know, one of the best players in the NBA, you know, during his time, you know, so you're right. It takes a lot Absolutely. of hard work and uh, the, everybody's not, like you said, Steph Curry or Michael Jordan, you know, there's guys that, really have to get to that level by hard work absolutely and then you'll see certain ones hit the nba and and people forget how much time they put in people don't think that kobe bryant didn't put countless hours into his trade they're wrong mm -hmm. look at a guy like james harden we watched james harden play down here at arizona state and i knew he was good um, right away. The guy reminded me so much of Stacey Ogman. It was unbelievable. I'd be texting my friends. You got to watch this guy. This guy's something. Even when he was a freshman. But, you know, I knew he went second in the draft. I was even a little surprised by that. I'm like, yeah, you know, whatever. But look <laughs> at him. So I, you know, I know beyond any reasonable doubt how much time James Harden has spent on his game after he hit the NBA. So those are your guys, again, that will have a lot better chance at making it. Again, for any young person, like you're saying, it goes back to work and preparation and effort and being prepared and showing up every day and being prepared to practice. You know, even that you have to do that to be able to, you know, excel in these in these sports. And otherwise, there's countless people that Jerry's seen that <laughs> it didn't happen for. Yeah. <laughs> no. And, and, and you would have thought of, and a lot of them you thought it would have. You know, I'll tell you one other, Everett Gray, who has been our guest here. I remember Everett, when he played at UNLV, left, he went, I think he played overseas first, or maybe he got those 10-day um, contracts in the NBA. He might even played or signed with somebody. In the, I don't remember how it all worked. But I saw Everett like two or three years after he left UNLV, come back to Vegas, and he came into the training room 
And I mean, he looked phenomenal. Like he had the best body that I'd ever seen Everett have. And, and I remember telling him, and I'm like, man, Everett, you really look good. Like you've been working out. And he's like, yeah, Cuddy, I, I wish I would have known this when I, when I was here in college, I'd have been a much better player. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just yeah. some guys, you know, you got to figure it out. Um, I mean, Everett was still a very good player, but you know, maybe had he done what he did then, he might've been a lot better player coming out, you know? So, That's right. mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, let absolutely. me ask you like a technical question. So last week we had Didon on and we talked to, I asked him, what it takes to be a point guard, which comes over to you. What does it take? Like, what do you think it takes to be a phenomenal three-point shooter? Like, what skills do you practice? What type of, like, what made you, you know, not every everybody plays basketball who plays basketball, but not everybody is an amazing three-point shooter. Yeah. Wow. That, yeah, that's interesting. Well, one, again, it goes back, takes a lot of work. I mean, it takes a lot of shots, a lot, so that your 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 body just reacts. You know, you have a tremendous feel for shooting. You know, I could shoot balls and know whether the ball's literally going in pretty much or not. Mm-hmm. That definitely, if I'm swishing a ball or something, I I could pretty much tell you as I was it just as soon as it left my hand. So you develop tremendous feel and touch by a lot of practice and preparation I think at you know then at UNLV I was able to spend a lot of time with Gerd working on what I call almost like live ball situation so I was shooting at game speed where he's feeding me and I'm doing it quickly just like it would be in a game at a high level Um, and then I think it's you know it's that shooter's mentality because then with that to be a great three-point shooter you have to have that confidence you feel like you're going to make damn near everything. And, you know, I did have that. I felt like I could shoot the ball and make it from just about anywhere, almost at any time, you know, so from that preparation. And I I think then that mentality shifts over to knowing that you're, you know, you're open, you know, you're working around that court and you know, you're open so that you're ready to pull the trigger when you, when you get the ball. Um, I think Tark was probably, you know, he's one of the best people you could play for and why he had great shooters was from his psychology on the the player and the team. And what I mean by that is, you know, just in my little time, you had Freddie Banks right before me, who's unreal shooter. And then I get to play with Anderson Hunt, who's an unreal shooter. You talk about a streaky guy i mean anderson hunt i put that guy up against anybody if he is hot or on fire anybody ever because i had to guard that crazy sucker for (laughs) four years as well and i'd be all over him sometimes and he just make it i mean he's one of those guys a tremendous shooter but going back to tark what tark would do is instill that confidence in you once he felt like you were a great shooter i mean he must have told me 30 to 50 times and same with hunt and i know with freddie we've been the same thing travis if you even think you're open you just think you're open i want you to shoot the ball and that gives you a lot of confidence but the other thing he would do that was so magical with a team 
is he liked to announce that in front of the team. So he'd be telling Anderson or Freddie, hey, Anderson, right in front of everybody. Like, if you didn't, you didn't shoot that. You need to shoot that. If you even think you're open, you shoot the ball. If anybody thinks Anderson's open, you get him the ball. So that the team feels that you should be doing that. It's your job. They don't get mad at a shooter for shooting the ball. They used to sometimes get more mad at me if they felt I didn't take one. That really came from Tark. And I think it's why Freddie, for instance, Freddie was so successful under Tark. Because the ultimate green light, his coach believed in him so much that it, it encouraged that kind of mentality. So having that confidence, you know, all those things I spoke about, but at the end of the day, it takes a lot of work, a lot of preparation to build that confidence. It's the ultimate confidence, but it sure helps if you have a Tark around you who loves a great shooter. And it certainly really helped me, you know, absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I wonder in, in sports in general, but since, you know, basketball is what we're talking about, I wonder if like, like, you know, once you obviously, okay, when you're a little kid, you pick it like, all right, I want to play basketball. I'm a little kid. I want to play basketball. I wonder if like you kind of decide, like if, did you decide like, I want to be a good shooter or does that just kind of come as you like coaching as you play, you know, like who becomes the point guard and why, or who becomes the shooters and why just through, you know, yeah, I think, no, again, that's a lot of times that's mentality. Today, it's a lot more popular because three-pointers are so popular and everybody wants to be a three-point shooter. <laughs> the funniest thing that it's interesting, and I didn't I didn't think about this till recently because uh, Jerry probably remembers, I grew up with John Jones. I don't know if you remember Big John. I do. Who played football. Yeah. Right? He went to Simi Valley. That's why he ends up yeah. at UNLV. It was really from me and, and then went there. Well, John, great basketball player. I grew up with him, playing ball with him for years, too. We played almost every day. But he reminded me, he's like, yeah, Trav, I, here you are, like, hold the record at UNLV, and you grew up without a three-point line. And I thought, you know, that's kind of odd. That's right. I grew up without a three-point line. Hmm. The first time I got to play with a three-point line was for Tark. So imagine that. Here's the guy that holds the career record. Yeah. Never <laughs> grew up with a three-point line. Wow. So... I wasn't standing behind the line from the time I was seven years old. You know, I think it helped my stroke because I naturally progressed versus trying to chuck the ball. But to really answer your question, how you become a great shooter like that is, yes, I did want to. Mm -hmm. I, again, grew up around these maniacs. <laughs> and Butch Hawking played at Air Force Academy. He was he could shoot the heck out of a ball from the time he was 10 years old. Mm -hmm. Don McLean is known as notoriously a great shooter to show how great he is. The guy's six ten, and in high school, he averaged like 85% from the free throw line. Wow. No one six ten averages 85% from a free throw. Line. <laughs> no one except Don, especially in high school. My God. Right. So I grew up with these guys and I wanted to be the best shooter on the team. That's it. That was the goal. I want to be the best shooter. So it kind of, it evolved and kind of, that's where it evolved from. Because again, knowing the people I grew up around, if you're going to beat Don in a shooting game, or you're going to beat Butch in a shooting game, you, you better be ready. 
you know, and I was that guy. I wanted to be the best shooter around these kids. And we all went and played division one. So <laughs> once I hit UNLV, I already had a lot of that stroke. They just helped me make it maybe a little better, like with the live ball stuff. But I showed up with a really good shot because I was just trying to beat Don and Butch. <laughs> <That's it>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, Travis too, there, first of all, you know, looking at it from a, I don't want to get into the science based stuff cause I'm not smart enough, but, uh, <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, you know, number one, you had the ability to do that. And then number two, by no matter who you are, whether you're John Jones playing football or whether you're Travis Bice basketball or somebody playing be- baseball, you know, you hear coaches all the time talk about repetition and how important it is. And, and how important practice is because the more repetition you have, the more muscle memory you build and the more your body responds to what you're trying to do. So in your case, if you shoot 300 shots a day plus practice or whatever, the more you do that, your muscles kind of understand what you're trying to do. Same thing with an offensive lineman. The, The more they fire off the ball to hit a defender, the more their muscles have that memory to say, okay, this is the technique that we're supposed to develop. So there's a lot to it, but I really believe, and to me it just simply goes back to if you want to put in the time, you're going to get better. But if you don't, you probably will not get better. You know, you'll you'll be uh, an average athlete compared to a great athlete if you put in the time and you shoot and you get better every day, you're going to be a better athlete. It's that simple, you know, but that's such a hard concept for a lot of kids to understand, you know, cause it's very easy. Remember Tark used to say, you can't take shortcuts. And that is so true. You know, you can't go out and shoot 20 shots and then go over to the ice cream stand and get ice cream and then go play the next day and throw up, 60 shots and think you're going to make them. <laughs> it doesn't work. Your yeah. body doesn't work that way, you know? So, yeah, but it, it was, yeah, I think I was, I, I would try to shoot the ball from a young age. I was trying to shoot every day and I pretty much did. I shot a basketball every day for years. I mean, if I missed, you know, X days a year, it'd be unheard of. Our family didn't go on a bunch of vacations. So in the summer I was shooting every day. But I, yeah, I want to shoot every day. I shot in the rain. Yeah. If it was raining too hard, I'd stand next to the house. If it wasn't a sleeting rain, I could just stand next to the house, stay out of the rain, and still shoot a ball. Yeah. It didn't matter if it was hot, raining, whatever. I was out there trying to shoot a ball. But I think sometimes, you know, and it is missed. You know, I think some of these kids today, it's all, they all go to special training and it's special training and more games, more games, more games. And the game is is just not that complicated. I think one of the beauties of basketball is if you have access to a hoop or a ball, just like I did, you can sure accomplish a whole heck of a lot. <laughs> yeah. Getting out there. And but you have to have you have to want it too. I think for me it was fun. You know, I had those goals and everything, but it was really fun for me. I liked having a ball in my hands. And I liked shooting it and trying to put it through that hoop. And I 
kept trying to get better at it. I just, just trying to perfect, just trying to be a more perfect shooter. And that was fun for me. I just passed a lot of hours doing that. You know, I had a lot of energy. I still got a lot of energy. So if my parents, I mean, I think that's how I really fell in love with basketball is just, again, luck is uh, we moved to a house and we moved from the apartments when I was eight years old. We lived in an apartment until I was eight and I hardly played basketball, didn't play basketball. And we moved to a home in Culver City that had a backyard that was enclosed. So it was perfectly safe and enclosed, safe neighborhood anyway, but it was just safe and closed back there. And it had all concrete. There was no grass back there. Someone had concreted in this entire backyard. (laughs) And sure as heck, they'd hung a hoop on this, the old garages that are detached from the home. And thankfully, again, that hoop at most was eight foot high. So we had a ball. And right away after moving in there, I'm out bouncing that ball around the yard and started shooting it into that hoop. And it was low enough that I could be successful putting it in there. And I was off and trucking because whenever my friends were busy or in the wintertime, you always had a rule. We always had to come home when it got dark. Well, sometimes in the winter, it's like five o'clock, Yeah. you know? So if that happened to me, I was out back and it had a light and I turned the light on and I would just be out there entertaining myself. And that's really how I found basketball and fell in love with it was that right there. I could be on my own entertaining myself. And I think, and I've told so many parents this, I've told them to keep those hoops down because you want to talk about helping your shooting technique. I started out with good technique because I was on a little hoop. Mm -hmm. You don't put these young kids on 10 foot hoops. And I was on an eight foot hoop. Yeah. And it really helped. Me. Well, and that could get discouraging too. Like if you can't make it and then I'll like, you never can make a 10 foot hoop. And then you're like, well, I don't even like basketball anymore. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, I have to say, um, I'm also a really good shot. I have been told in beer pong. <laughs> so I don't know if that translates, but I'm notorious shooter in beer pong. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure how good that is because when we talk about hard work, all of a sudden you must have put some time into that. <laughs> well, I did grow up in Vegas, you know, so. Um, so, Travis, I have to ask, too, about that team playing with like the Larry Johnson, Stacey Ogman, Anderson, Greg, you know, Anthony and all of that. So did you come in the same year as them or were they, those guys ahead of you? Uh, Stacy Ogman's one year ahead of me, but he was a, he was a red shirt freshman. So then we were freshmen together and then Anderson came in the same year, but he redshirted the first year. Um, so we were kind of freshmen again, but Anderson couldn't practice, I think his first year. Um, but I was really a freshman with, uh, with Stacy. Um, who else was running around there? So Patio was a senior. Jarvis Bass and I was a senior my first year. Uh, Booby James was a freshman. Keith James was like a sophomore. Some guys like that in those early years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then talk about hard work and trying to get better. I played as a freshman and I redshirted my next year. And I, I begged Tark and Gerg to redshirt me. Mm-hmm. I wanted to redshirt because I knew I needed another year to work, prepare, try to get bigger. I was living in the weight room, living in the gym. 
So that was another interesting twist. And so then when I came back as a redshirt sophomore, that's when Larry Johnson joined us. And, um, you know, but that was, we already had a tremendous team. Mm -hmm. That team, when I redshirted, that team went to the final eight. That's the team that beat Arizona in the Sweet 16 and upset them. Um, but that was a heck of a team. You know, I think Stacey Ogman was just an unbelievable player and teammate and again I sell John Jones and my buddy I grew up with that set up in the stands I'm like dude do not watch the game watch <laughs> Stacy Ogman this guy causes more trouble he's going to get every loose ball he's going to get these rebounds he's going to trip somebody at the at the perfect <laughs> time and not get called for it I'm like you got to watch this guy yeah and uh, so I was really blessed to even to hang out with him play with him and I thought it would really help Stacy. I mean, I don't know what he'd have to say about it, but he went to that Olympic trials and, you know, here I am just young and dumb again, trying to hang in by the, <laughs> you know, the, the, the seat of my pants, if you will. And Stacy gets invited to Olympic trials. And I'm like, there's no way in hell this guy's making the Olympic team. <laughs> Not happening. And I kept hanging out with Gerg in the summer shooting. And I remember the cuts kept coming and I still kept thinking any moment, Stacy will get cut. And sure, that, sure as heck, one day I was shooting with Gerg and he said, Travis, I think Stacy will he'll make the Olympic team. And I was like, what? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Seriously? He's like, oh yeah, John Thompson loves him. And he goes, you see the last game? I said, no, they didn't play him. But when they walked off the court, he had his arm around him. And uh, so that was just unbelievable. But how that helped Stacy when he came back, I don't know if Jerry remembers that he was like a different person. Cause I think again, the confidence, what had happened is Stacy had gone against the best players in college and proved to himself that he could do it. He's playing against professional teams, basically in these offshore teams. And when he came back, he was a killer and he never looked back. And people in, in the annals of time, the people in the, the UNLV fans might remember, but across the country, they always think Larry was around. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, Stacy Ogman was the big West player of the year mm -hmm. and first team, you know, all American, you know, the uh, defensive player of the year, all that happened before Larry got there. Right. Then we got Larry Johnson as well. And it was over. Yeah. I mean, when that guy came, it was in one practice you could tell he was the best guy in the country. And I'm like, this is going to, this is really going to be something. Yeah. Well, what I was kind of thinking was like your experience in high school and growing up with all those amazing players kind of mirrors your experience at UNLV and growing up in the collegiate division one school with also amazing athletes and whatnot. It definitely helped. And also that I played with, uh, again, Don McClain. He's, he was a McDonald's All-American. Mm -hmm. So I not only grew, grew up with a Division One player, I grew up with a McDonald's All-American. So a lot of it, it was all about Don. You know, we were all into the Don show. It's all about <laughs> Don. A lot of plays run for Don. Don has the ball all the time. <laughs> Don scores 80 million thousand points in high school. And you're scrounging around trying to get 10 points a game. And um, so I was very used to that. That's absolutely true. That when I when I entered UNLV, I was used to being second fiddle, if you will, and being around McDonald's All-Americans. 
and fulfilling my role at extremely high level. I did that in high school. And then at UNLV, it just went to a whole different stratosphere. But if I'm going to play here, I'm going to fill a certain role here and I'm going to do it at a really high level. Mm-hmm. But I'm not trying to compete with Larry Johnson. You're right. I'm just, I'm helping that guy. So it absolutely helped me tremendously, I think, going in with that kind of attitude, having that kind of background where I wasn't the man. And other kids that most everybody that went to UNLV was the man when they were in high school or in JC, junior college, you know. Right. So, Travis, what, you know, going back, what was your fondest memory of your time at UNLV? Um, I know you had a a hell of a game against Iowa one year. Um, I'm terrible with all the years, but I know you pretty much single-handedly won that game, and it was a real big game. Uh, Of course, playing on the national championship team. But what what did you take from – UNLV and, and those experiences like with you, what uh, into your personal life as it is today? Well, some of my favorite experiences real fast, definitely the, the Iowa game. I think, you know, that was a big breakout moment for me where I definitely had arrived. You know, I'd finally, I, again, I was in a situation where I was continuing trying to earn my spot, earn my keep. As a freshman, I hardly played. I was 11th guy on that team. Then I redshirted. So our national championship team is when I started rejoining the team. And I was I was quite prepared. Um, but then I had a really big game against uh, Iowa. And that was a great time and memory for me because I, I knew that I'd made it, if you will. I'd proven yeah. that I was a true Division One player, could play this game, could play at a high level and could perform on a big stage. You know, that's a Dick Vitale game. You know, Saturday morning, Dick Vitale is calling the game mm-hmm. in front of 18,000 crazy people. <laughs> um, so that was that was a lot of fun. They had 19 points in 19 minutes. And I certainly didn't win that game, but I, I think we were only up nothing. And, you know, by the time I left the game, probably in the first quarter, we went up 20 and never looked back. So <laughs> I was able to provide a big spark in that game. 19 points in 19 minutes. Another yeah. time we played Cal at home. And uh, I hit four threes in like two minutes and 34 seconds, four. <laughs> it was like unbelievable. And that place just went ballistic, <laughs> you know? And um, so that was a big deal. And you get all that, remember the three-point hankies going? It was, yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> well, that experience. I, I, I remember sitting on the bench and when, first of all, when you'd go in the game, everybody'd go nuts because they know yeah. you were going to start chucking them up. And then, like you said, in the Iowa game and the Cal game, and but anytime you got your hands on the ball, the crowd kind of got loud because they knew you were going to shoot it. And then when you'd make it, they'd go nuts. You were kind of – I mean, Anderson, you know, to parallel that, I mean, Anderson, you know, he'd be one of those guys that really would, you know, excite people by the, the fast breaks and the dunks and, you know, he would take threes and stuff. But in your situation, it was kind of – it was almost a given, like when you got the ball, everybody was already clapping before you made it. You know? yeah. <laughs> they were like, yeah. they were like, oh, yeah, there it goes. Yeah. You know, and they, they would go nuts before it even went in. <laughs> yep. That was fun. That was great. Um, <laughs> then I got to start a game. I think that was a big deal for me when uh, I think Anderson was hurt. 
uh, he might've busted his hand or something. Remember when Anderson broke his hand? Yeah, exactly. uh, I got to start a game at home against Utah state. That was a really big deal for me. Um, gotten sports illustrated a couple times. And that's, I thought, man, that was really something too. (laughs) Here's this kid again from nowhere. And look at me, I got my picture in sports illustrated. That's cool. Um, but it really helped me how, how it helped me in life. I just, I mean, I, I give those guys so much credit was, you know, even with Tark, I think when I went into business, believe it or not, I brought so much of that into business, into a crazy manufacturing business. Here I am in a circuit board industry and I'm trying to bring things from UNLV into circuit boards. And I really did because I thought what Tark did, it was just really simple. You could scout us. As you know, Jerry, probably you could scout UNLV in five minutes. Everybody knew what we were going to do. We didn't have any plays. We had three or four sets. Those aren't even considered plays. We're going to push the ball. We're going to play man-to-man defense. We might throw a little amoeba at you. Everybody knew what we were going to do. So just keep it simple, but do it at a high level and do it perfectly. And that's what, you know, I, I really took away from that experience and once I launched that into business, it really helped me be really, really successful because I never forgot that. I tried to keep business what we did really simple, but we're going to do it right. We're going to do it at a high level. We're going to do it every day as well. And that's the other thing I took from UNLV is you want to talk about maniacs. And <laughs> Jerry knows this. It's like, and, and I think in my, I look back on that and I just relish it. It's like, I love the seriousness of what went on at UNLV. And what I mean by that is the coaching staff, the athletic training staff, the equipment managers, everybody was so serious about what was going on. And I just love that. And I, it just encouraged that kind of uh, behavior in me that carried into my life Mm -hmm. and just made me really appreciate hard work, true hard work every single day bring it every day, big effort. And this would go on for years, you know, imagine a guy like Gerg, you think he just works hard on Mondays. <laughs> the guy works hard every day for like 40, 50 years, yeah. just one speed bike. Right. And I mean, I just love that. I, I sell to people again, another crazy experience, you know, V was my freshman year. Tark thought we were so horrible that he was petrified. I just, I know that guy. I know that Tark was so petrified. <laughs> He's so paranoid anyway. He was petrified of how bad we were. So that usually, what that leads to is a lot of work. Uh-huh. So when I was a freshman, I don't know if you remember this, Jer. This is 87, 88 season. But in that 80, right, or late 87 time frame, we practiced like 30 straight dates took off one day and went 21 more and people don't think that really happened i'm like it happened yeah. he practiced us christmas eve morning and let us go and said just be back here christmas day night yeah that's right and i went home i went to simi valley and then caught a caught a flight back home or something, but we were <laughs> off for 36 hours and practiced <laughs> Christmas Eve and Christmas day. Yeah. Wow. That's true. Hard works and seriousness. Yep. 
And that certainly helped me in my, it, it not, it just helped me a tremendous amount in my life. Well, that's, yeah, that's a perfect transition into what I wanted to kind of end the episode with was, so you mentioned that you kind of, you know, basketball kind of became less involved in your life at around 22, which I imagine is when you probably graduated UNLV. Um, was there any like ever thought or desire or to go pro? Did you ever like toy with the idea of that or anything? I did, but I really wanted to be, you know, go pro if you will. But, um, I think at the time, you know, think things have just changed so much. One, the, the money outside of the NBA wasn't like it, like it is today. And, um, then I saw guys like, again, Freddie Banks, I saw Mark Wade or, um, Johnny Welch, they went off and played overseas and they're three to four years ahead of me. And then you'd see them come home. I thought at 26, 27 years old and just starting their life. And I just didn't want to do that. I think I was at least, I thought I was smart enough to say, look, those guys are every bit as good as I am, if not better. So I'm going to go bounce around and play overseas and have some fun, but it's not going to lead me in the career path I wanted to. And I was a really good student, you know? Um, so I was ready. I wanted to go to law school or I was going to get an MBA. Um, and I was real money focused. I wanted to make a good living. Mm -hmm. And today it would have been made sense too. You go play overseas, get more experience, then you coach. Right. Coaching is also very lucrative. But when I was playing, you go broke coaching. <laughs> I mean, you're just going to go broke. Yeah. Tark makes money. No one else makes any money. <laughs> yeah. When, when Dave Rice told us he was going to coach, I literally, like, you wouldn't see my face here anymore because I almost fell off my <laughs> chair. I'm like, you're going to, you're going to coach? Yeah. What? <laughs> like, I thought his life was over. Yeah. Guy, what happened to my friend? You're going to be broke. You're going to work <laughs> like 20 hours a day. What happened to law school, Dave? Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. So what, so what did you end up doing then after uh, college? I got my MBA and started working and I just started bouncing around in these, these jobs a little bit. And then I was, I was working at the university of Phoenix in Las Vegas. We basically started that campus out there and really started having some great success there. Cause I, and I toyed with coaching a little bit and got close. You know, I got dumb and decided to coach and I got close and I was going to Long Beach State. Johnny Welch left Long Beach State and he I'm trying to get that job. And here's Gerd. Gerd grew up with Seth Greenberg. Yeah. So I've got Gerd calling Greenberg. John Welch is leaving Long Beach and he's telling Seth, like, Travis is better than me, dude. Not only is he just as good as me, he's smarter. So what are you doing? You got to hire Travis. <laughs> Then Maxson was president at uh, Long Beach State. Bob Maxson. He vouches for me. He's good friends with Seth. So I'm like, I got this job. And then Seth calls me and he gives it to the guy that's already on his staff. And I'm like, Travis, what the hell are you doing and thinking? Because this job, mine, he's going to pay me $12,000 a year. Oh my God. I'm like, I'm going through all this stuff to go make it, take this job making 12 grand and and it didn't work out. So I have to thank Seth for that, I guess. <laughs> but uh, 
I ended up at University of Phoenix and and stumbled into some stuff and started doing really well. And that just parlayed into this opportunity in in Phoenix where my dad and a partner had bought a circuit board business and they wanted me to run sales and run marketing. And that's how I ended up in that path. I just kept, then I just kept moving along. I think within three or four years, I bought the business from them and then ended up running it for another decade and selling it successfully. Nice. There's a lot of happenstance in there though. It's funny how life works out because, you know, I think for me and for a lot of the young people, sometimes you take chances on things of where you're, you're, it's not supposed to happen that way. And I didn't listen to that for all the young people. Again, I, I used energy and effort and focus because I wasn't supposed to be at UNLV, but I went and it ended up being an unbelievable experience. And I wasn't supposed to go work in circuit boards. And I certainly was, I was 30 years old when I bought that business. I signed a $7 million loan, which might have, might as well have been 700 million. I was 30 years old. <laughs> You're not supposed to do that stuff. <laughs> so I kept taking opportunities that were clearly over my head for all the young people, clearly over my head. And then I made it happen. And that, that just really built my life and helped my life a ton. It's just taking opportunities that are so far over your head and you just go for it anyway. Mm-hmm. And that comes from, you know, that con- just having the confidence to do it. Just say like, okay, I can do this. And I think that being going through, I've told many people going to UNLV, walking on there and, and pulling that off, it, it gave me that confidence, like lifelong confidence. Not that I can do anything but just some confidence that you can walk into a t- tough situation and you can figure this out and, and hard work and effort and focus is still going to go a long way. Right. Don't give up. Definitely. Yeah. Well, I think this has been honestly a really, really great episode for, you know, our young athletes and our aspiring division one pro, whatever you've, you've been really inspiring even to me. I'm going to go out there and get my goals after this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, Travis, we really appreciate you giving us your time and your insight and all your, you know, experiences and knowledge. And I sure learned from it. And I hope our listeners did too. Yeah, Trav, thanks. It was really good to catch up after several years. Uh, You know, we just don't get to see each other that much. Uh, If I make it down the Scottsdale area, I'll definitely hook you up and, uh, Maybe we'll go to lunch or something. Yeah, or go play. Like I said, go play golf. You have some time. You get out here. I'd love to. We'd love to go. You know, hit some yeah. golf balls. Go play golf with you. Catch up. But whatever you have time for. Yeah, I'm here and usually available. So I, I'd love it. and I really appreciate. You know, today probably probably gab too much. I talked your head off, but no, yeah. it's good, man. We that's what we want. We like we like it when we don't have to talk. Okay, <laughs> all right, exactly. Yeah, and if you ever get to upstate New York, man, you always got a place to stay. So come up and visit us sometime. Down in the basement. In the basement, baby. In the basement. (laughs) All right, Travis. Well, we really appreciate your time, and uh, we'll we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks Thanks again, Trav. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Y'all take care. All right, ma'am. All right. Well, another great episode. Very inspiring. I'm feeling empowered to go do something. <laughs> yeah. That's why I wanted to get Travis on, on, um, on today's or as a guest, I should say, cause, uh, 
He was. He was the hardest working guy and very smart. He, he said that. He was a very good student. But, man, he worked his tail off to get where he is. And, obviously, it transcended into what he does in his you know professional life. So, yeah. good stuff. Thanks for listening. And uh, have a great week. Yep. We'll see you next week for another episode of Cuddy and the Cool. Thanks for listening, everyone. Um, Wherever you're streaming this podcast, if you would be so kind as to give us a subscribe and maybe even a review. In addition, you can find us for any updates on social media, Facebook or Instagram. Our handle is at Cuddy and the Cooge. Cuddy with a C, Cooge with a K. Or you can email any questions or submit any feedback to Cuddy and the Cooge at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you.